It's a real pleasure for us to worship with you this morning. We um, have been living close to you here for the last four years, but have never made it out this way. This is our first visit to your lovely church here, and it's beautiful to see the sanctuary here and a full church. And uh, we, uh, I understand that there are a lot of visitors here today, so we give you a warm welcome. We're glad that you have joined us. Um, <clears throat> for those of you who don't know me, and I don't think many of you do, I should just maybe introduce myself a little bit. I... Uh, Am the, uh, I work in the communications department at ADRA Canada, and uh, today we're going to have a little study about uh, the call of God to be thinking about those in need and the ministry of our church that uh, works in this area. But just to tell you a little bit about myself, an uh, interesting fact is I'm a pastor turned photographer. And uh, usually it doesn't work that way. Usually you hear about a photographer who has had a change and, and become a pastor. But I kind of went the other way. I, I'm not sure what happened. I remember even as a young boy just loving to take photo photos. Uh, it was my passion. And uh, it was going to be what I was going to do in my life. But along about the age of 14, a well-meaning teacher came to me and said, Frank, I understand that you are thinking of being a photographer, and I just want you to know that you probably will not be able to do that and still be an Adventist. And I was a little bit shocked and taken aback, and, but he explained what he meant by that, and, and in his mind, the only way to really make a living as a photographer would be to be a wedding photographer, and most weddings happen on Sabbath, and therefore you would be challenged to be able to make enough money uh, just shooting weddings on Sundays, I guess. And uh, so I began to think about it, and uh, my father had always said that I should be a pastor. He was a pastor, and of course I should just follow in his footsteps. And back in those days at Canadian Union College, there really was only two degrees that you could get there, and that was to be a pastor or to be a teacher. And even the teacher degree was a little bit sketchy. It was kind of an association with some other, I think Lincoln, uh, the school down there in the U.S. So as I went through CUC, I kind of switched back and forth between being a teacher and a pastor, but eventually finished up being a pastor. And I was. For four years, I was a pastor in the Moncton Seventh-day Adventist Church. And uh, I enjoyed it, many aspects of being a pastor. Um, it's wonderful to work for God and serve God that way, but I also found out that Paul was right when he said, not all are pastors, are they? And uh, I found out that uh, the, uh, the gifts that we are given uh, are the ones that we should pursue. And if there's young people here today and God is tapping you on the shoulder to be a photographer and has gifted you to be a photographer and you're passionate about that, uh, it's probably good to follow the call of Christ to serve him in that way. And interestingly enough, when I was a pastor, I continued my photography interests as a, as a hobby, and I would do videos of the children 
the youth at uh, Pugwash Camp every summer. And in 1989, I believe it was, <clears throat> the founder of ADRA Canada, John Howard, I think some of you know him, I think he says he comes to your church here occasionally, <clears throat> saw, he came to Camp, Camp Pugwash and he saw what I was doing with the video. And ADRA Canada at that time had only been on the, the map for about four years, four or five years. I think it started in 85. And he was looking for ways to communicate what ADRA does with the church. And so he asked me if I would be interested in doing that, uh, doing some photography and some video work for ADRA Canada. Well, I didn't think too much of it at the time because... It was camp meeting time, and we were busy with so many things. A few uh, months later, I got a phone call from John Howard again. He says, would you really be interested in taking a position here at ADRA Canada uh, and, uh, and do the communication work for us? Well, I had just unpacked everything. We had just moved to Andrews University to, do, to go to the seminary. My children had already been enrolled in school there and uh, so it just didn't seem convenient to pack everything up again and move back to Oshawa and join uh, ADRA Canada at that time but I told him if you bought me some camera equipment you know a good video camera and some editing equipment I will probably be able to slip away from my studies every once in a while we have Christmas breaks and summer breaks and and uh, I can probably do some uh, work for you that way and so they did John bought me some equipment, and the first shoot that he sent me on was in Jamaica. It was after Hurricane Gilbert. I don't know, were some of you here from that? Uh, you experienced Hurricane Gilbert? Yes, ADRA Canada was helping some of the most vulnerable people there rebuild their homes, get their roofs back on after that experience. And so that was my first introduction to the work of ADRA and how ADRA is helping people in crisis situations. And through the next two and a half years, as I went through the seminary, every chance I got, I went away and did some photography and video for ADRA Canada. And by the end of the two and a half years, I realized that God was calling me to that work, that I was more uh, passionate about doing the, that type of work than I was being a pastor. And so I stayed on at Andrews. I took another degree in what's called international development, in what uh, the kind of work that ADRA does. When they're not meeting a crisis like an earthquake or a hurricane, they're out, uh, out there in rural areas of uh, developing countries where the people have not had many services in the past and were helping with developing their community with water and sanitation and health uh, and agriculture. So as I uh, finished up with that, I decided that uh, I would uh, make this my full-time work is to, to continue to do photography work, do video work, not only for ADRA Canada, but other ADRA offices. And so over the years, I think probably I have one of the best jobs at ADRA <clears throat> because I have been able to go and visit and document the work, the projects that ADRA has done around the world for the last 30 years. And so I've seen a lot uh, over the years, seen the amazing work that ADRA is doing. And uh, this morning, I would like to for us to consider how the, the call of Scripture is really calling us to do the same type of work that Adra is doing. 
Um, let's maybe start by taking another look at our scripture reading this morning. You know, uh, a lot of people wonder what God is requiring of us. They asked, what must I do to be saved? And they ask, you know, what is God expecting us? He's created us. He's created this whole universe. What is he asking us to do? And I believe that this passage in Micah 6, 8 really sums it up well. When he says, well, maybe we can say it together, shall we? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. I believe that this passage answers that big question. What does God require of us? Most of us have a good understanding of what love is. We have experienced what it is like to love and be loved. We've had boyfriends, girlfriends. We have uh, spouses, children, family members, and the church family that we love and adore. And most of us understand what it means to be uh, merciful, to have mercy, to have a heart of forgiveness and reconciliation. But what about justice? Some people uh, think that getting justice is a lot like getting revenge. If someone does something bad to you, you might wish that something bad would happen to them. And if it does, you might say, ah, justice was served. But this is not what the Bible is talking about when it calls for people to act justly. This is not God's sense of justice. It is not what he meant when he spoke through the prophet Micah for us to act justly. When God talks about making sure that justice prevails in our land, what he is talking about is that everyone should do everything they can to make sure that no one is taken advantage of in our communities. That everyone is treated equally, fairly, with dignity and respect. It means that when we interact with the people of our community, like you're doing tomorrow, that we are dealing fairly with everyone and serving them, that we're not taking advantage of the weak. We're not exploiting those who are in a lower position than us. All through the Bible, God asks us to specially take care of people who are not able to easily stand for themselves people that might not have a strong voice in the community. The Bible actually mentions four groups of people who we should take care of as a way of acting justly. Do you know who they are? You probably do. Let's see. One is the poor, the widows, you're right, the orphans, and the stranger. Oh, we passed our slide. I should be looking at this a little more carefully, I guess. As we make sure that these people living around us and throughout the world are treated fairly 
and are able to live lives that are safe and secure and free from suffering, we are answering God's call to act justly. To help us think about love, mercy, and justice this morning, I would like for us to consider a story from the life of Jesus. The Bible doesn't uh, really tell us his name, so we're going to call him Jared. Like many people today, Jared also held this burning question in his heart. What does God require of me? What must I do to be saved? And in this story, Jared has the most amazing opportunity to ask the question to Jesus himself. And it doesn't get much better than that. Let's get into the story. Jared had been born into a very wealthy home. The, fam the family held a lot of properties around the city where they lived. Beautiful, well-developed vineyards, plenty of orchards, of olive trees and pomegranate, and many fields that produced bountiful harvests of wheat and barley. The family had a lot of people working for them. Some were hired as day laborers at critical times of planting and harvest time. Others were what's called sharecroppers who would grow produce on one small piece of land owned by Jared's family for which they would be paid by getting a percentage, usually a very small percentage of the harvest. And then there were the slaves that had become property of the estate and compelled to work for the family for nothing more than food, clothing, and shelter. How had Jared's family acquired so much land around that city? How was it that they had so many slaves? Well, we know from studying about this time period <clears throat> that back in those days, if a poor family needed some money to cover a family emergency, they could go to a wealthy landowner like Jared and ask to borrow some money. And so they would set up an arrangement where they would maybe, if they had some land, they would put their land up as collateral and the landowner would give them the money they needed to cover the emergency. But then, if they were not able to pay the money back with interest, they would have to give up their land to the landowner. If they didn't have any land to put up as collateral, what they would sometimes do is put up one of their children as collateral. And then, if they could not pay back the loan with interest, then they would have to give up their child to become uh, a worker at the farm, at the estate, until the loan could be paid off. But because of high interest rates, the poor family would find themselves trapped in a high interest loan scheme that made it impossible for them really to ever pay off the loan. And their child would become a slave of the rich family for life. Any children that they had during this time of bondage also became property of the estate. Can you imagine what it would be like 
to give up your child to become a slave. It was not a very nice system. This kind of injustice was rampant in Micah's day. And it's probably one of the reasons why God asked Micah to remind the people to the things that he required, to be merciful, to love, and to do justly. It was also practiced in Jesus' day, and surprisingly, it still goes on in some parts of our world today. It would seem that Jared's father had died when he was still quite young because he was now the owner and administrator of this vast estate. And into his hands had fallen the responsibility to maintain and develop the heritage that his family had worked so hard to build up through the generations. The quality of life of so many people in his community was directly tied to his leadership and administration. It was a big responsibility for a young man. Because of his wealth, he also held a very high position on the local city council. And coming from a very religious family, Jared also held a, a very high office in the local synagogue. He had become a respected, high-ranking uh, member of the local Sanhedrin. It would seem as though Jared had it all. He had made it. He was young, wealthy, and a man of considerable power and influence. And yet Jared felt that there was still something missing in his life. He couldn't quite figure it out. Like many people, he felt a void in his heart, an emptiness. Even though he could buy anything that he wanted, it didn't make him happy. Even though he ruled over or hundreds of people and had a vast estate, he was not fulfilled. What was missing? One day, Jesus came to their community. Jared had heard of Jesus and how he had spent the last three years or so traveling around the countryside teaching new ideas about how people should live and about a new kingdom that was coming, the kingdom of God. Jesus had said that the people who decided to join that kingdom would live eternal lives of peace and happiness. It sounded just a little too good to be true. But he still wanted to find out more. He wanted peace in his heart. He longed for happiness in his life. And he loved the idea of living forever in the kingdom of God. Still, or with all of the amazing miracles that Jesus had done, there were some who were even saying that Jesus was the Messiah that was to come, that was prophesied in the scriptures. It was said that Jesus could heal people who were sick, cure leprosy, make the blind see, the crippled walk, cast out demons, even raise people from the dead. He said that, or they said that he could feed 5,000 people 
with just a few loaves of bread. It was incredible. If there was any chance that Jesus was the Messiah and He was here to set up the new kingdom where people could live forever, well, Jared wanted in on that. He decided to go and listen to Jesus and hear what he had to say. Jared found his best robes to wear. If he was going to meet the Messiah, he wanted to be sure that Jesus would notice him and recognize him as a leader in the community. Finally ready, Jared made his way out to the place where Jesus was going to be preaching. He noticed that there was a lot of people going out to meet Jesus. Many of his own sharecroppers were on the path, along with their children, running along in their ragged little clothes. Jared wondered, why can't those people dress their children a little better than that? Finally, they reached the place where Jesus and his followers were staying. There was a nice grassy hill where everyone could sit down in comfort while they listened. Jared was not sure what to think about Jesus. In many ways, he looked like any other man. But then there seemed to be what looked like an inner glow that was coming from inside him. There was a kindness in his face, a smile that warmed your heart, eyes that seemed to look right through you to the very secrets of your heart. As he listened to the stories of Jesus, Jared heard some things that he had never heard before from anyone. Jesus said things like, Love your enemies. Do good things for those who hate you. Be kind to people who despise you and do all kinds of mean things against you. If someone hits you on the cheek, Turn the other cheek so that they can hit you there too. If someone asks you to give them your robe, give them your coat as well. If a government soldier asks you to carry his gear for a mile, go too. Love and respect your neighbor in the same way that you love and respect yourself. Treat people around you the way that you would like to be treated. words of Jesus pierced his heart. He began to think about the way that he had treated some of his slaves the week before. What Jesus said next surprised him. He said, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What? Could it be? that his poor day workers, his sharecroppers, were in line to be saved in God's kingdom before him? As the rich young man was thinking about these things, he noticed that Jesus took a break from his preaching and was welcoming a group of children to come and talk with him. And after playing with them for a while, Jesus laid his hands on them and blessed them. 
He then turned to the people who were watching all of this and said, I want to tell you something really important about God's kingdom. If people are not willing to give up some of their attitudes of self-importance and approach the kingdom of heaven with the trusting innocence of a child, like these children here, they will not be able to enter my father's kingdom. Oh, this was too much for Jared. Many of the children who Jesus had just blessed were the children of his own workers, children of his slaves. Could it be that these ragged, poor children were in line to enter God's kingdom before him? But he was a ruler. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was important. He was wealthy. He kept all of the commandments. Surely he would be among the first to enter the kingdom of God, wouldn't he? He decided that he needed to get some answers. Stepping close to Jesus, he raised the question that was burning in his heart. Teacher, what must I do to be a part of the kingdom of God? What good thing do I need to do to get eternal life? It's a question that a lot of people ask. What must I do to be saved? Looking at the young ruler standing before him, dressed in his finest robes, Jesus said, You know the commandments. Don't kill, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Jared gave a big sigh of relief. A smile came across his face. He was going to be okay. He was good at keeping the commandments. With great enthusiasm and perhaps just a little pride, he exclaimed to Jesus, Well, all of these things I have kept since I was a small boy. Is there anything else I need to do? Jesus looked at the young man before him with a gaze that read the very secrets of his life and the life of his ancestors. Then he gently spoke to the man with words that challenged him in a way that he had not expected. He said, there is one thing that you lack, one thing that is holding you back from becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God. What could it be? Jared asked. He would, he's ready to do anything. Then the words came. Sell everything that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. The smile on Jared's face disappeared. Sell everything? Give to the poor? Oh, he would have been willing to give a big donation to the synagogue or even to the poor fund that the city had set up. But everything? It seemed as though Jesus was asking too much. It couldn't be true. 
God wasn't asking this much of him to enter his kingdom. Something seemed wrong. It seemed too much. Was it too much? As we consider this story from the life of Jesus today, what message should we take from it? Are we also to go and sell everything that we have and give to the poor? As the Adragai coming to worship with you today, you might think that that is the message that I would like you to go home with, but no, it is actually not. I don't think that everyone needs to do something like this. Some might, but I believe for each of us, the one thing that we lack may be something different. If we could transport ourselves back to that hillside in Judea and ask Jesus, is there anything that I lack? I believe his answer would be very different for each one of us. As he would read our hearts, he would know the one thing that we lack. And if we would like to know, we can still go to Jesus and ask him, what is the one thing that I lack? For Jared, selling everything that he had and giving to the poor was the one thing that he needed to do to show love, mercy, and justice. God had told the Israelite people that once every 50 years, on the year of Jubilee, that they were to let their slaves go free, return land to its original family owner, and forgive people of all of the debts that they owed. But somewhere along the way, the people of Israel had stopped doing what God had commanded and Jared's family had not followed this command for many generations. It was the reason why they had so many slaves and so many properties. To restore the injustice of his family, Jared needed to let his slaves go free. He needed to let his sharecroppers get back their family lands for all of the wealth that his family had built up over the years due to the exploitation of the poor around them, he needed to now make things right and give back what had been taken. Like our scripture reading says, he needed to understand what the Lord requires of us. He needed to act justly. He needed to have mercy on those who owed him money. He needed to show love and kindness to the poor. He needed to let his slaves go free. This was a day of testing for Jared. This was in many ways judgment day for Jared. Would he listen to Jesus? Sadly, the Bible says that he went away sad because he had great possessions. Well, how is it with us today? As we examine our lives, what is the one thing that we lack? What change do we need to make in our lives to make sure that we are doing what the Lord requires of us, that we are showing love, mercy, and justice? You know, it's, it's very common, not just in the Seventh-day Adventist church, but in every religion this world has ever seen. 
for people who have been a member of that community, perhaps from birth, to begin to see only the rules and regulations that have been developed to govern that religion. And the tendency can be that after many years in a religious system, people begin to focus in on these rules more than the essence of the message. Like Jared, we can begin to think that if we have kept the commandments since we were young, that we're doing okay. But then, like Jared, we might find out that there is something more that we still lack. We may find out that we have neglected the most important thing that God has asked us to do. We might find out from the teachings of Jesus that everything in the Old Testament hangs on two great principles. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. We may find out that when everything else is said and done, that in the end, what the Lord requires of us is to show love, mercy, and justice. How do we do that? I believe the only way that we really can show the love of God is to have the love of God in our hearts. It doesn't come naturally to us. We are, by our very nature, selfish to the core. We tend to take care of self first, it's not natural for us to think too much about showing self-sacrificing love to the people around us or making sure that the vulnerable people of our world are served and protected. To truly follow God's way, I believe that we need, like the Apostle Paul says, a daily conversion experience. It is only as we allow the love of God to completely fill us and have it overflow in our hearts that we will really be able to follow what God requires of us. Like Jared, we might be able to keep the commandments, kind of, sort of. But when it comes time to showing love, mercy, and justice to the people in our sphere, the people in our community, the people in our world, we choke we fail. We may even be oblivious to our neglect. We need the love of Jesus in our hearts. As Christians, we are called to love as he loved, walk as he walked, serve as he served. And the Lord never asks us to do anything that he does not also freely provide us with the power to do. And so I invite all of us here today to ask God to fill our lives and hearts with the love that we need to enable us to show the, kind, the kindness and mercy and love to others that he asks us to show. As I mentioned, I work for, the, for ADRA, which is the Adventist Development and Relief Agency. And for those of you who may be visiting today and don't know about ADRA, ADRA is the humanitarian arm of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And it's the mission of ADRA to show God's love, his mercy, and justice throughout the world for people who are suffering and in need. We can be proud of the humanitarian work 
that the church is doing through ADRA around the world. And we want to, one of the things that I always like to do when I visit the churches is express our appreciation and gratitude for the partnership that you have provided and given to ADRA over the years through your support, your prayers, and your gifts. Uh, without your support, it's something that we would uh, not be able to do. And uh, so we appreciate the way that you have uh, been so supportive of the work of ADRA. Uh, 